You know, as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about the different symbols and traditions that are often associated with Christmas time. And there's a lot of them. Um, things like nativity scenes and um, Christmas trees and, and, and Advent candles. Things that are sort of part of Christmas. I was thinking about other things. Mistletoe, eggnog, Nat King Cole, right? Um, <laughs> chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Winter wonderland that we're walking in. Singing Silent Night in the candlelight on Christmas Eve. One of my favorite moments. I know a lot of us are gone. We've got a, we've got a kind of younger church. People will often travel back home and stuff. I get that. But we have one of these amazing services in, in two weeks at Christmas Eve. It's one of my favorite services because uh, all of a sudden, the, the entire sanctuary, at the very end of the candlelight service, we sing Silent Night together. And then one by one, the candles are lit until the entire darkness is consumed in candlelight. And we sing together in this very special moment. And we honor our Lord's coming. And it, it's beautiful. It's tender. It's wonderful. It's a... It's something that is, is always reminding me that the one who, the reason candles, again, are part of this is because we're celebrating the one who was light, who came to be light of this world, the one who brought light into the darkness. And our world has been, been altered because of his coming. I mean, even those who may not embrace him for who he is must acknowledge that we would have never had hospitals, orphanages, um, universities, all of them started by people who followed Christ. There, there's so much good that has come, so much good. I know there's a lot of stuff that's been done that's damaging in his name, but there's so much good, so much beauty, so much, so think about what he models for us. You know, we, one of the things we talk about at Christmas time is peace on earth, goodwill towards others. There's a kindness that sits on this season. There's a tenderness that's there. Again, the challenge is to put aside our cynicism and to enter into this, into these next couple of weeks. One of the things that also is a part of Christmas time is the giving of gifts, presents. People exchange gifts. Um, and I, you know, since I was a boy, that was always something I had looked forward to. Um, I have a lot of memories of Christmas time. And, um, you know, maybe because part of that for me connects all the way back to that time when my family, before it blew apart, was together. And I have fond memories. I remember different things, you know. I remember getting my first 49er uniform. My brother and I got together. We were just little guys running around the room with our, our uh, special gift that day. Remember the two bikes we got one year and how I, we both parked our bikes outside. And unfortunately, my brother forgot to take his in. And it was gone the next, the next day. And, and um, I kept mine. I enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> poor Bobby. Um, is my own. Anyway, Christmas is special. And we give gifts. <laughs> To one another, and um, you know, we one of the things we do also is we 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 sing songs. Singing is a big part of Christmas. We we um, you know we share other things like cards, and, and like I said, I mentioned the whole gifts that we share. I mean, a lot of times the gifts are given for a couple of reasons. Christmas, all these things are rooted in the Christ story. I mean, giving of gifts, God gives us Himself. He God gives us himself as Jesus. It's the ultimate gift. When they came to worship Jesus, where the wise men bring, they brought gifts. We give gifts because that's part of the story. We also send cards out. That's one of the traditions as well, sending Christmas cards, and we bless one. Why? Because proclamation, declaration, announcing of good news is a big part of the Christmas story, and so we give these cards. We have, in our house, been uh, had a tradition for a number of years, and my wife started it 
when we were just, you know, I think it was our first year when we were married. She started, we, we'd get some cards, and then as they came in, we'd start putting them, she put them on a door. Now, put them on a door that leads to our kitchen, and it's always something I look forward to. Early on, I didn't think too much of it. As the years have gone by, I've gotten more sentimental, I guess, and I actually like it. I actually like looking at Christmas cards and watching who, who signed this one, and then I, now a lot of them have photos of, of families or friends or relatives that are distant, and, and you get to see what's happened in a year. I, I know we live in a, in a kind of high-tech age where people can access information rapidly, but there's still something about that that I just really enjoy. And uh, it got me thinking about the first, one of the first Christmas cards that the Bible says um, was given. And, uh, you know, it was actually written by a, um, a doctor named, named Luke who was writing to a friend. Luke had been a convert, a Gentile convert. Um, uh, he became a follower of Jesus because of the testimony of a, of a Jewish believer named Paul. And this Dr. Luke had a friend named Theophilus whose name means, you know, loved of God, great name. And Theophilus was also beginning to explore Jesus. And Luke said he wanted to write him a letter. And in that letter, there's this opening piece that's like a Christmas card. It declares and announces the birth of Christ. And it's very special. Again, Theophilus was someone who, had a, who was, many, many people believe, was working um, under the emperor. And so the, the gospel of Luke, and this is something, this is a side note. You know, gospel means good news. There's four good news of Jesus. There's four gospels that, that teach us about the life of Christ, right? You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of them has a different perspective, slant, angle of approach. Luke's approach, because he's writing to a Greek, uh, a Greek mindset, a Greco-Roman mindset, where they honored the, the idea of the perfect man. I mean, Luke's emphasis, you'll notice, is on the son of man. It, it, it is focusing in on the humanity of Jesus. And so much of it has to do with his realness as a human being. If you just walk through the Gospels, Matthew, just as a side here, Matthew talks about Jesus as a king, the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament, the promised one of old. Many, many quotations from the Older Testament are in the book of Matthew. Mark, the smallest of the four Gospels, represents Jesus as the tireless worker, Constantly seeing him working tirelessly. This one who gives everything for us. Luke, son of man. The one that's really different of the four, John. John presents Jesus as the son of God. And as doing so, he, he, he just you know, broadens it out into a very majestic way. And there's this beautiful differences of emphasis. All of them, when you weave them together and see how they fit, create a very comprehensive piece and they, you can see the different aspects of Jesus. There's value in reading each one of them and seeing it for what it is. Well, Luke's was actually given, again, for a friend to have. And so when we come to this particular passage here, and I just want us to kind of look at it, because I think, one, it's, it's helpful for us as we move into the Christmas season just to kind of remind ourselves of the biblical account. So when we look here at verse number one, and, I'm gonna, and this is from an older version, so um, it's going to maybe sound a little bit uh, less understandable at the initial read-through, but stay with it, and I want to kind of explain it. Verse number one, Luke one, the opening, inasmuch as many have taken in hand, again, he's writing this to his friend, and I believe God, we believe God is inspiring these words and using them to live on. As much as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. Now, Luke is, again, what he's basically saying here is that I'm not the first one to write the, about this account of the events 
that have been accomplished or fulfilled among us. Basically, he's talking about Jesus. What he's saying is, what I'm about to share with you, my friend, is the summary. It's a summary of eyewitness reports that have been passed down to us, both orally and in written form. Verse 3. It seemed, and it seemed good to me as well also, um, having had per- perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. It seemed appropriate, having investigated everything from its origin, from its beginning, Luke says, that I write for you a detailed and careful account for you. Verse 4, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you have been instructed and taught. In other words, I want you to have a higher degree of certainty and conviction about the things that you've been taught because I would like for you to have a written, concise, and orderly document that accurately and historically sets forth the life and ministry of Jesus in a way that you can appreciate him as the Savior that he is and also have a document that you can ponder, look at, refer back to, and share. And that sharing has produced what we're even doing now. Through the, through, the, through the, you know, decades, centuries, and millennia. And so here we, we are reading, um, again, this amazing account that comes from Luke. Now, Luke is writing to his friend because he wants him to, to be able to appreciate the fact that Jesus is not just this fantastic, you know, mystical uh, theory, um, that he is uh, a real and living human being who has come to us, uh, he has literally been born of a woman. He, he talks about the birth that occurs. The Christmas moment is a very big piece of this. Uh, he talks about how he is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's the son of the highest, the holy one, the son of God. I mean, this is just an amazing declaration of, of who Jesus is. And again, Luke's purpose is to show that Jesus was real. Now, jumping back, jumping further into this, he then, this is how he shares with a simplicity, um, a a brevity. At the same time, there's a depth to it that makes us wonder. Let's look at it in Luke 1, 26 to 38. Here is the account of the birth of Christ. He says this, uh, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a a, a virgin who really... uh, it was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, what's interesting about this is that Luke is referring back to this birth of Christ, and he's saying, you know, when God starts this movement, he starts it with a woman who was already engaged to a man. This man's name was Joseph, and we know the woman's name is Mary. Now, now the fact is that hundreds of years before, some 800, almost 1,000 years before, in one of the most mysterious and astonishing statements a prophet of the Old Testament had ever made. Prophet Isaiah is addressing his generation, but then he looks down the corridor of time, and he begins to talk about the coming of a promised one, the coming of Messiah. And he says this Messiah Redeemer, this one who will buy back humanity with his own self, is going to come in a very different way than what people are expecting. And he makes this statement about the coming of the promised one. And it's always helpful for us to look back in time at what was said by Isaiah in reference to the coming of Jesus because it does set the table for what we're about to look at. I'll just put this up there. This is from Isaiah 9.6. Many of us are familiar with this verse. But in this verse, Isaiah writes, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, 
And the government, the authority of this world will be on his shoulder. And look at this. And his name will be called, and he begins to list the name, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But for that to happen, for this son to be born, I mean, what he's basically saying is it's going to come in a, through a very normative mechanism. It's, the Redeemer is not just coming out of the sky, a full man. He will be born, fully human being, born of a woman. And, 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 and for that to happen, there had to be someone. Mary is that person. That's what's going on here. Verse, verse uh, 29, uh, 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid. It was a natural reaction to be afraid. For you have found favor with God. Uh, behold, you will conceive in your womb. It's going to happen. You're going to bring forth a son. You'll call his name Jesus. That means God saves. God is salvation. And he will be great. And he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will fulfill all the promises that were given as the king of Israel. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. When Mary said to the angel, how, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. I, that, that sounds incredible. It, and for her, it seemed impossible. It was beyond her comprehension that God could or would touch her in such a way that she could be, be one that was capable of bearing a child apart from a hu human interaction. And it just sounded impossible and implausible. And, and that's what is on her mind when the angel answers it in this way. And the angel answered and said to her, the, well, this is how it will be. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore also the Holy One who is born, this one, because it will be born of the Holy Spirit, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has already conceived a son in her old age, which was a type of a sign, and now is in the sixth month for her, who was called barren. And then the key verse, for with God, what? Nothing shall be impossible. If there is a God and he is all-powerful, then nothing shall be impossible. But there was something else that was required in this first Christmas moment. It was required that Mary agree. Look at verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, we would say, See here, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Even so, let it be according to your will, according to your word over my life. Let it be. And the angel departed. One of the things this reminds us of just from the very, very outset here is that God never forces himself on us. God will not. He will not make us do anything. Even in something like this, it is required that, we, that there is an agreement. There is, a, there is a willingness. And it may be true that this, there are things right now in our lives that God is asking us to move into, step into, accept responsibility for. Perhaps we are reluctant to do that. Maybe there is an assignment the Lord has for us that he needs us to agree to, but he will not make us. He invites us to cooperate with his plan for our lives. And for some of us, this is an ongoing struggle. We know it. We sense it. We believe it. We know God is calling us, in some cases, to let go of something, in some cases, to move into something. But we're afraid. One of the real beautiful parts of this, this account, and one of the most impressive aspects of Mary as a young woman, 
is that she modeled for all of us really what it means to be responsive to God. Christmas time really does invite us to be responsive and to surrender and to be open so that God can do a miracle among us, if you will. Now, keeping that in mind, I have some things that we'd like to put on the, on the board, things for us to consider in these next two weeks. I believe it's important how we choose to enter into this time. I'm gonna, I am trying intentionally to persuade all of us to be more intentional about how we pursue the next two weeks. We can just move through the Christmas season, be done with it, or we can, or we can get something that is uniquely available at this time that is probably available at no other time of the year, not quite this way. Number one, let me suggest that this is a time for us to remember, intentionally remember, that's what we are doing right now, what Christmas is all about. I, I think that a lot of times we, we get caught up in things, the busyness of the season perhaps, uh, the complexity, uh, other things are on our minds. We've, we are not pausing to ponder the significance of what we're celebrating together, the significance of his coming, the significance of his birth, what it means that the God of eternity enters into time and space, that the God who loves us so much would come to us in such a vulnerable way, that, that he was born in a way that was completely opposite of what everybody was expecting, that far from coming um, as the, with trumpets blaring and emperors bowing, and the clouds splitting, God chose an entirely different approach that requires us to humble ourselves and bow low to receive. It's intentionally done that way that he did not come so that everyone could know. He came quietly and softly and stealthily. And in fact, he came <laughs> into a palace that was not much of a palace at all. He was born with a, a, a relatively poor uh, uh, environment around him and even when he got to the place where he was supposed to be, the inn there wasn't any room there and so he ended up in a stable in a manger where things are smelly and stinky and dirty and that's where the savior of the world was born and if that savior is born there then is there any place he's unwilling to go are any of us too messed up for God who comes that way attached, dependent attached to a woman on an umbilical cord. The Son of Man came to us that way. We don't need to be afraid of God. He invites us to come. But here's the deal. We need to remember that he came in such a way that he revealed himself to us so that we could know his heart. You know, one of the things that I remember hearing, and I wrote this down um, a while back, somebody was talking about how God came and what was the significance of Jesus. And then they said this. They said, Jesus is God spelling himself out in language we can understand. And I just love that. Jesus is God spelling himself out in language we can understand. A lot of people say, well, what's God like? Look at Jesus. Look at him. He's beautiful. There's something about him. The, the, the way in which he lived, the way in which he loved, the way in which he gave everything, the way in which he modeled what, what it truly is to be courageous. Uh, there's, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Jesus says, they said, show us the Father. Jesus said, have I been with you so long? You do not know. Look in the face of Christ. Literally, 
again, Jesus is God spelling himself out in language we can understand. Christmas is the celebration of the word made flesh. It is the celebration of God spelling himself out in language we can understand. God becomes us. We understand him. I get that, Lord. You suffered. You lived. You know how I feel. You know what it's like to be abandoned. You know what it's like to make choices in life. You know what it is to be human. And there's something about God fully entering into our experience, becoming literally part of our story. There is something there. There is something real. There is something authentic about it. And it invites us to sit and wonder. Think about it. The Word made flesh. God, that goes back to the opening of the book of John. This, the amazing pulling up of the, uh, the, you know, pulling the curtains apart. John starts out different than all the other gospels. And he starts talking about how the word, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. And he says, and the word, God's word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld with our own eyes his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And then he goes on. And as many as would receive him, to get to them, gave you the power, the authority, the right to become the sons and daughters of God. I mean, this is an amazing statement. Jesus is really God spelling himself out in language we can understand. Secondly, as we move into this Christmas season, let's be open to divine overtures. What do I mean by that? I mean that God is speaking. God is moving. Now listen, I know, we probably won't hear from any angels in a vision, but... I do believe we may hear the voice of the Lord softly spoken to us. You know, Christmas is a time, it's at the time of the year when the days are shorter. The days are shorter, but it invites us to longer thoughts. The weather gets colder. We tend to spend more time inside. Spiritually speaking, it's a time that calls us inward. You see it? Into the interior place. We're called to look at our own heart afresh in light of the coming sun. We're invited to draw inside and to consider things, to think about God, to think about what he might be saying to us. Listen, the timing is a big deal. I love where the timing of the celebration of his birth. Why? Because it happens so close to the end of the year. I mean, think about it. In two weeks, we celebrate Christmas. And then a week after that, the year turns. New beginning. Everything changes when Jesus comes. Life changes. This world changes. Light has entered. Darkness reigns no more. It's, it, and then we are invited to listen for the voice of the Lord in our own lives. And so many of the things that we do, I hope, we'll, we'll, we will find time to slow down, hurry up and slow down, and listen for the voice of the Lord. So that we might listen to what he might be saying to us about how we're to end this year. Where have we been? Where have we gone? Lord, in light of your son, in your coming, in light of who you are in my life, how have things gone? What are things that you want to have me look at as I move into this new year? Is there interior work you want to do inside of my, me? Is there character things that you would like to reform? Are there issues of my past that you finally, once and for all, want me to break free from? Are there addictive types of behavior that I didn't even intend to get into but I'm stuck in that you really do want to set me free? Is there area of my heart in mind that is extraordinarily troubled and very anxious that you want to be the Prince of Peace and speak life to. But there are troubled waters inside of me that you want to still. You are also not only wonderful, you are the counselor, the source of wisdom and insight. 
You show us not only how to live, you give us wisdom for living. If we acquaint ourselves with your word, it will be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. This is truth. The, the way of Christ is the growing way. And it starts by coming low. You see it? Thirdly, quickly, let's also talk about, and this is important, at least from my perspective for where we are. Let's, let's think about ways that we can intelligently share the Christ story. I'm going to challenge some of us here. And myself. The fact is that Theophilus was being given an account by a man who cared about him, Luke. And Luke took the time to share the story of Christ. Some of us, this is it's important that we use something in these next two weeks to share the story of Christ in some way. Some of us might need to write something. Some of us might need to post something. Got a lot of posters out there. And maybe do something that points people to Jesus. Maybe for some of us, just making an effort to invite a few people to come. Hey, this, our church has this Christmas thing that's going on, and I'd like to invite you to come. And you can come Saturday night, or you can come on Sunday, either way. But the thing is, this, it's, it's pretty good. Love to invite you. Um, and you know what? Because it's something special. And maybe for some of us, that's a, a daring move, to just take our faith and let it go a little bit. I know a lot of times we're afraid. We're afraid we'll be, be misunderstood, or maybe sometimes we're concerned that people will get the wrong impression, and we have to be very private with our faith, and it's most important to live it. So, but, but you know what? There's also a need to talk. We need to communicate. We need to point people to the Lord. It's not just something that's only meant to be private. It, if, it, if it's worth anything, it's worth sharing. Because it's, it, if it's not real, then don't bother. But if it is, we got to be okay talking about how, how special Jesus is and what a change he can make in people's lives. And sometimes it's as simple as writing a little post, postscript on a, on a letter we send or noting something uh, obliquely or putting a verse somewhere that would maybe say something or maybe taking a risk and sharing a little bit beyond our comfort zone with someone who maybe is searching more than we will ever know for an answer that we might have. In Christ, I believe it is the answer that every man and woman should have that could change and radically alter not just a life, but generations of people who will ultimately be connected. Somebody, somebody took a risk and shared the love of God with somebody who affected all of us because none of us write our own stories. We are all the product of somebody else. We are connected in ways we will never know. And if not by literally connected, we are connected by prayers that were offered for somebody who told somebody who came to know Jesus, who shared it with somebody else, who ultimately shared it with those who shared it with us. We are all part of a story. And we are collectively given this great privilege of being a part of it. And may we take that seriously and, and prayerfully and be open to what God wants to do. And the last thing I'll say around this is this. In, on top of everything else, May we cultivate a grateful heart, particularly as it relates to the gift of God's Son. And a, a poet named George Herbert wrote something very simple that touched me, and perhaps it will touch you as well. He was talking about, just listen, he was talking about the gift of God's Son, the birth of Christ. And he said this, he said, Thou hast given me so much, give me one thing more a grateful heart. And may the Lord give us a heart that is grateful, 
that we have not been abandoned with hopelessness on a whirling sphere that means nothing. But God says, we matter. And I've given my only son as living proof. So let's not let, let, let's not our heart be filled with grievance. Let's our heart be filled with gratitude. Forgive and be forgiven. Live lightly, love God, listen for him, and share his good news. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for the privilege, opportunity to serve you. We thank you for people, some of whom we know, some of whom we never will know, who took a risk to share some, something of your love with someone else. And our lives have been affected by it in meaningful, deep, significant ways. And we get it, Lord. There's a lot of stuff done in your name. It doesn't make sense, but there's a whole lot of good done too. And I pray that we would be part of the good part. I pray that we would live to honor you, bless you, share you. Uh, I pray that we would welcome in your son afresh in our own hearts, that we would make room in our heart. There was no room for you in the end, but let there be room for you in our heart. I pray that as we close our service, as we seek to honor you in it, that you would just um, also be honored in our giving time, really, truly do that as well, and in this song that we close with, which declares that you are the reason for everything that we do. So we ask for your blessing both today and in the days ahead. Pray for special moments along the way. We pray for those, um, Lord, maybe there are people you have for us to share with in tangible ways. Maybe there are things you want us to serve in that will be a blessing to those who have less. Maybe it's just a good word, an invitational word, a scripture somewhere. I don't know. I know this. You want us to honor you and to welcome your coming. May we do this. May we do this with, with a heart that's filled with gratitude. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.